Thank you, Kaz, and good morning, everyone. We are um, continuing our journey in 1 Samuel, so it's well worth turning to the first reading that Kaz read for us, uh, 1 Samuel 12, and that was page 238. If you've got a, a Bible in front of you, it's well worth having that open. Um, there, there is a sense of we're moving quite slowly through 1 Samuel, uh, you could say a glacial pace uh, through 1 Samuel. There, it is possible to sort of look at the Old Testament at sort of in hyperdrive and do whole big chunks together. But I think one of the things that we're seeing together uh, as we look at small sections is we're letting God set the agenda and each chapter has unique things to teach us. And I think this chapter particularly um, has much to teach us about the tension of uh, relying on God as king and then also relying on uh, human powers and resources that, that God gives us in this world and how we can sometimes get the order of those two reliances um, mixed up. So I'm gonna pray and ask God to help us as we look at this part of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, that you speak a word that reveals your character to us, your purposes, your faithfulness to do as you have promised. And we pray, Father, for humble hearts now to hear you well and in hearing you to trust you and to follow you with all our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you know your true north. Uh, when it comes to your life, whether you're clear on that. Uh, in one sense, true north literally is that the, the sort of the, the, the line between your position on earth right now, here we are in uh, Water Street in Warunga and the North Pole. So if you planned a trip to the North Pole this afternoon, you would need to know true north from, from this point. But true north is also used metaphorically to speak of the fact that every human life has bearings that set the agenda, set the direction of travel for it. And I wonder if you know what your true north is when it comes to your life. Uh, it's the thing that's most important to you. It's the thing that uh, you end up serving most with your time and your energy and your thoughts. And it's that because it's where your hope is set. I wonder if you know what true north is for you. Well, for God's people, our true north is the Lord our God. Uh, he is our king. He sets the direction of travel for us uh, because he is what we fear most or what we revere most, what we respect most. Uh, he is what we serve most because in the end, our hope is set on him. Uh, this is how the author C.S. Lewis describes that experience for Christians. And he describes it in becoming a Christian himself in his book, Mere Christianity. He, he said this, the compass needle trembling in every human heart is meant to swing around and settle pointing to God. That's the way we've been wired up. That's the way we've been created um, as, as God's creatures to set our true north on him. And that's true of God's people here in Israel in 1 Samuel. The Lord, their God, was their true north. He'd literally set the direction of travel for them, leading them into the promised land, leading them safely there, settling them there, as we're told in our passage. But even beyond doing that, he was to continue to be the one that they set their lives upon, the one they were to fear, the one they were to serve, because their hope was in him. But if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll, you'll have realized that for Israel, to borrow C.S. Lewis's words, uh, the, the needle of their compass is trembling again. <laughs> Uh, fear is growing as they look at these enemies sur surrounding them in lots of different ways, and they don't feel settled and safe in the land that God has given them. And over time, the, the, the fear of uh, these dangers around them has outgrown their fear of the Lord, and they've sought other powers to keep them safe. 
to solve the very earthly problem of their safety and security, they've sought a more earthly solution. You remember it back in chapter eight? We want a king like the nations. That's what we need to keep us safe. Uh, the kings of the nations around them, it, it, it wasn't so much that they wanted a king just so that they have all the pomp and ceremony of a royal family. Maybe if we had a king, we'd have more public holidays. That wasn't Israel's thinking. What their thinking was is what the king represented. The king of the nations around them represented safety and hope and security, and they said, that's what we need. And so they demanded this earthly king, and God in his kindness gave them that king, Saul. But in this, in this sort of moment of uh, setting their hope on the king, the, if you like, the old order of the, the direction of travel for them, their true north had been disturbed along the way. God, their king, had been the power that had kept them secure. He'd been the one they feared, the one they served. And he had been in this process uh, usurped, if you like, replaced. Uh, they had a new power to trust, a new true north, just like the nation's. You see that in verse 12 of our passage, if you've got it open there in front of you, this is what had happened. They wanted a king to rule over them, even though the Lord your God was your king. Uh, and here's the question that, that Israel now has to wrestle with. And if you were here last week, remember at the end of chapter 11, they're, they're called to renew the kingship, to realign the order, if you like. And the question they have to wrestle with now, now that they have an earthly king, Saul, can they rely on this human power while still having the Lord as their true north? Or are those two powers, earthly power and, and heavenly power, God's leadership, are those two things mutually exclusive? Do you have to choose one or the other? That's the question I think that 1 Samuel 12 deals with. And it's a question I think we would do well to wrestle with ourselves this morning. As you think about your own life, how do we resolve the tension between our reliance on human power and resources that God gives us in our lives and our trust in the Lord? How do those two things fit together? We have to ask that question knowing that as Christians, we are those who would say Jesus is king and he's king of everything in my life. Not just some parts, not just Sundays and small groups. He's king of the lot. He is our true north. To be a Christian is to say, I fear him above all else. I serve him above all else because my hope is in him above all else. And yet we are in this sort of window where we're waiting for his return as king. We thought about this last week. And when he returns as king, we're told that everything will be subject to him. But we're not there yet. And, and so we're in this period where we experience all sorts of forms of human power and resources available to us that can actually compete with God for our sense of security and safety. I mean, it can be all sorts of things. Let me give you some examples. There's the power of wealth in our lives. It is possible in this world to, to feel secure and safe and comfortable without God. Uh, the power of education, and I'm, I'm feeling that a little bit acutely at the moment, having had one son go through the HSE last year, now it's a daughter going through her trials this year. It, it seems like that it's possible that if you can grasp this power of education, then a whole world can open up to you without God, or the power of opportunities that are available to us, offering experiences in this world that you have no need or want of God in them. Or perhaps uh, even more acutely at the moment for Christians, the, the power of cultural alignment, the power of being approved by your culture, being accepted by your culture. We can't pretend we have no need of these things. We can't pretend that these powers that are in our world, uh, and, and many of them good powers, because they're God-given powers, just like King Saul was for Israel, 
that we can sort of say, I have no need of those things and I'll just disregard them completely. But here's the question 1 Samuel 12 is going to help us with. How do you keep that tension? How do you keep the tension of relying on these earthly powers and resources while not abandoning God as your king? And so to help us with that, have a look at verses 1 to 11 of our passage, because what we really have in these opening verses, 1 to 11, is a testimony in what looks like a courtroom uh, proving the worthiness of God's leadership and his worthiness to be trusted. Here's what it looks like to have God as your true north. And the, the picture in one sense is God's spokesman, Samuel, and indeed God himself being in the dock in a courtroom. They're, they're on trial and there's going to be witness against or for them. And how, how's the trial going to work? But as we watch the trial, I want to watch carefully as the seats change in the courtroom. By the end of the trial, it'll be God's people are in the dock, not the other way around. Here's the testimony we're going to see of what it's like to have God as your king. Uh, here's 1 to 11 summarised in one sentence, if you want to have a little snooze for the next few minutes. When the Lord is your true north, he leads you to settled safety by his righteous words and deeds. Well, let's have a look. There's two parts to the testimony that prove that. First one is in verses 1 to 5. We're told that God the king leads his people by his righteous word. I mean, that was Samuel's job. If you go back to the start of the book of Samuel, here's how Samuel's life worked. He said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then his job was to speak that word faithfully to the people. This was how God led his people by his word through his prophet Samuel. And his job was, if you go to the end of our chapter, verse 23, he was to teach them what is good and right. That's how the Lord was leading his people. And how different that word is to most human words that can influence us in this world. How different this power is to most human powers that can shape us. If you remember back to chapter 8, we were given a picture of what much human leadership looks like in our world, and it was a leadership that was characterised by take, not give. That's the nature of much human leadership. It's about take, not give. And yet, look at the conclusion of uh, God's people about the leadership of God's prophet. Look at verse 4. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. What's it like having God's word, the word of your king, be your true north? Well, here is a word that's not going to take life from you. It's going to give it. Here is a word you, you, don't, you have no need to turn away from because it's a word you can follow with your whole heart, we're told in this passage. And as we listen here this morning to that same word from the same God who is the same yesterday, today and forever, we can trust that he will continue to lead us by this word. Here is a word you can set true north by. Uh, in the words of Luke 6, verse 47 and 48, it's a word that you can build your life on and whatever storms crash against that life, it will stand. Here is a word that doesn't take life, but in the words of John 6, 68, gives life forever. Now let me ask you, do you set your true north by this word? Here's part two of the testimony. Not only has Israel experienced God leading them as king through his word, also through his righteous deeds to rescue them. Uh, verse 6 to 11 is like a, a rapid fire history of God's rescue of his people. Uh, he's brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He's led them and settled them into this place, the promised land. And then he's rescued them from their own foolish sin as they rebelled against him. And he's made them safe again. That's the history of God's leadership of this people. 
Their history testifies to the power of the Lord, their king, to do exactly as he has promised and to do it even when his people fail to heed him. And again, as we gather here this morning as the people of this same God, uh, we too marvel at his mighty and righteous deeds to save us despite ourselves. Uh, we heard this verse last week, but we know he is able to save us completely, those who come to God through him. That's our King Jesus. And so for Israel, and so much more for us, fearing and trusting this king and the power of his words and deeds leads us to what's described for us there in verse 8 and verse 11. It leads to a life where we're, we have settled safety. <laughs> They're the two words, peace in other words. That's what our God has done for us in leading us as king. He settles us. Uh, the way Philippians 4, the other reading that Kaz read for us, describes it, is it leads to a life that is gentle. Now, that word, the Greek word, literally, if you can imagine a sea at tumult, all churned up in a storm, and then suddenly it's utterly calm. That's what his leadership can do in our lives. And why? Again, Philippians 4, we're told in verse 5, it's because the Lord is near, because the king is here. It's a gentleness that comes from setting your true north on him. And I reckon if, as we think about uh, our opportunities to give testimony of our own lives as Christians to, to those around us, and we've been thinking about the three, two, one of welcoming already this morning, here's a key part of our testimony. We can speak of a, of a peace that God gives us, a gentleness that God gives us. It doesn't come from our circumstances or our deeds or our efforts. It comes from the one who speaks a word that can calm troubled hearts, who has saved us, who keeps us safe. And so here's the question, having seen this courtroom scene in verses 1 to 11, uh, here's where the seats in the courtroom change. Why would Israel ever trust and serve another power if he's led them so well? Why would we do it? Well, verse 12, do you see what's knocked Israel's compass off their true north? Their fear has grown. They look at this enemy coming at them. They, they doubted the Lord could rescue them. They see what's working for the nations around them and they follow that. And it appears very rational, doesn't it? Uh, completely understandable in some ways. But look at verse 14 and 15. Look at the way God describes this decision. Rebellion. Verse 20, he describes it this way. They have turned away from trusting the Lord. Their, their trust now first and foremost is in this earthly king. Real world problems they have, and so they think they need real world solutions. As earthly fears grow, they take their eyes off heaven, they fix their eyes on what's coming against them, and they end up serving an earthly power. And again, it remains a danger for us. We have access to all sorts of human powers and resources at our disposal, and when things come at us, those things seem a far more ready solution than the God who leads us by his word and his actions. I wonder if you know that feeling. In their case, it was seeking the security of a military king, and I suspect in our own personal lives, that's not our immediate go-to when we're looking for security. But there are other powers that come that we think we can trust more than God. And the way to see what they are in your life is to look at what you're serving, where your time is committed. What might that turning away from the Lord and living under this strength of another power look like for us? Well, think about the, the powers that I mentioned earlier. How about the power of wealth in our lives? Perhaps the fear that we, we don't have what we need to afford what we need or, or want. 
or, or the fear that we don't speak of this fear, but it drives many of our hearts, including mine, and the fear of seeing others with more. As that fear grows, we turn from the Lord and end up serving wealth for wealth, just a little bit more comfort or security or whatever it may be. Or what about uh, the power of education? And again, as I say, at the moment, we're, we're feeling this acutely as a family, perhaps that fear of not getting the reward for what you've worked hard for or not getting that career track that you hope will open up for you if you just give enough to this power. As that fear grows, how easy it is to adjust priorities and downgrade the priorities that the Lord would have for you. Or the fear of opportunity, and, and I've only learnt these phrases recently, it's, it's, there's two fears, there's FOMO and there's FOBO is the new one I've learned. FOMO is the fear of missing out and that drives so much of the way we make decisions. If I don't do that, I'm going to miss out, or my children are going to miss out, whatever it may be. And then there's FOBO, that's the next level version. It's fear of a better offer, which is we don't make commitments because there might be a better offer out there, a better opportunity. We trade priorities, like gathering together like this, and justify the choice with the view that, well, I think I can hold both those priorities at the same time. Or perhaps the power of cultural alignment and this is a strong power at the moment for us as Christians, the, the fear of judgment or ostracism if we stand for our king. And so we compromise, we nuance in the spirit of winning an audience. When we do this in any of these ways, our hearts are saying, now, of course, God is still my king. Of course he is. But the things that are coming at me or the opportunities or whatever it may be, I'm trusting earthly powers to be my earthly solutions. For Israel, turning their heart away from the Lord meant, do you see there, verse 21, turning to idols. It was them saying, in the end, I don't ultimately trust this word that leads to life. I don't ultimately trust these deeds from my God that, that give me safety. I need another power to settle my feet, to keep me safe. Look at the emphasis Samuel puts on it in verse 13 of their choice. Now, here is the king you have chosen the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. But this reordering of power in their lives to trust this human power first actually ends up rendering this human power that they're relying on to be, verse 21, ultimately useless. That's the word Samuel uses twice in verse 21. Do you see it? They're useless, or more, or more literally, the word is empty. <laughs> That's what these powers are like. Uh, the same word is used actually right at the start of the Bible when, when it's describing what this, uh, the world was like before creation, if you like. It was dark and empty. Before God's word and activity, before he said, let there be light, before God's power was brought to bear. So it is with whatever Israel may grasp at, including this king. Without the Lord God's power on this king, he is for God's people an empty help, verse 21. And we see here something of the ordering that God wants us to have in our lives. Here is a king that, in the end, he's given the people because they've asked for this king. But if you look there in verse 14, here is how the order is supposed to work. You and your king are meant to be under the Lord, not this thing above the Lord. Otherwise, it can do you no good, verse 21. It cannot save because it is empty. And of course, that is true of any earthly power that we may grasp at, be it wealth or education or opportunities or cultural alignment or whatever it may be. To turn away from the Lord, verse 20, to these idols is incredibly serious. It leads to God's judgment. 
Do you see it there, verse 15? His hand is against you. Verse 25, you cling to this and you will perish. Now, if that's true, what will stop us making this sort of foolish trade in our lives? Well, Samuel's attempted to sort of shake Israel from making that trade in two ways. We've seen one of them already. He's shown them the testimony of how God has led them, that they can trust him. But now he shows them something uh, that I think is, it's remarkable. Look at verses 16 to 18. He, something that shatters this division that they've made between heavenly power and earthly power. Something that shatters the myth that we should only trust God with spiritual things. As if he has no power over the nitty gritty details of our life. Look at verse 16 to 18. Now, here we have heavenly power thundering into the earthly realm. Now then, says Samuel, stand still and see the great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain and you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord and the same day the Lord sent thunder and rain so all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. What foolishness it is for us to think that the Lord who made the earth is not king over the things of the earth. Uh, the picture here is of uh, the wheat harvest season, which uh, the history books show us that that's not a season where you would expect any rain whatsoever, not a drop. And yet at this moment, at the command of God's word, this thunderous outpouring of rain uh, comes from heaven his kingship soaks everything in Israel I wonder if that's how you view his rule over your life does it soak into everything or do you reserve it for Sundays and small groups the risen Jesus himself says uh, having uh, conquered death having speaks of his ministry from that point on he says all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me and so it is with our lives. How foolish it is for us to think that earthly powers are more help than the Lord who is king, than the one that Colossians 1 tells us this, that was, uh, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now what part of our lives is he not in control of? Israel sees this heavenly show of earthly power, and you see verse 19, the penny finally drops. Pray for us, Samuel. We have turned away from the Lord. We have done evil in this. Uh, we've trusted these idols. We, we want to turn away from these useless idols. We want to turn back to him. Uh, I guess the question that hangs in the air is, will God accept their turn back? What hope is there for rebels like Israel or indeed our own hearts? Well, the last thing we see in this passage is not a thunderous response from heaven, but a gracious one. As we're wondering what sort of reception does a heart that's come to trust other things have when it seeks to turn back to God? Do you see the words God speaks to Israel? Verse 20. They're actually the most common words he says in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Isn't that remarkable? Don't be afraid. No, no, not because their sin doesn't matter. It does. Look at verse 20. It's evil. But don't be afraid because their turn back doesn't rely on their righteous deeds, but on the righteousness of their God. Your, our turn back does, is possible because of two realities that we learn about our God in verse 22. Do you see why he welcomes us back? Have a look at verse 22. Here's the first reason. He welcomes us back for the sake of his name. 
Now, in one sense, that's hard to get our head around because in God's activity of saving rebels like us, there's actually something that is bigger and more important to him than your well-being, as important as that is, and it's this, the honour of his own name. Our, our undeserved rescue as Christians is, is meant to be a banner to our world that the living God welcomes back rebels. That's what his name is like. That's what he is like. But here's the other reason he's done it. Have a look at verse 22. Do you see the word used to describe why he welcomes them back? For his pleasure. I love that. Here's the scandal of God's grace in our world. What we do not deserve is what pleases God most to give us a welcome back. It's not what we deserve, but it is glorious and it is gracious. And if you're wondering if you can turn your heart back to God, uh, listen to this word from Luke 15. Here's his heart. I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one rebel who repents than 99 people who do not think they need to. That's his pleasure. Our God is a God of steadfast love who runs to welcome us at the very first cry. And so as we gather this morning, I wonder where your heart is when it comes to the Lord and the things of this world. Perhaps you are trusting him, serving him with all your heart. Well, in the words of this passage, good. He's worthy of that trust. Or perhaps you're someone, and this is, I suspect, many, if not all of us, that's partially true of your heart. <laughs> That there are some parts of your life where you're clinging to other powers for security rather than the Lord. Or maybe you're here by some miracle this morning, but you would say of your life, my, I'm wholly turned away from him. My hope is in other things. His word to each of us is this, don't be afraid. Reset your life on true north. Wherever the needle of the compass is right now, time to reset. In the words of verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. Well, let me pray for us and then we'll sing together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are utterly committed to the sake of your name and the fame of your name in this world as a God who welcomes back rebels and that it pleases you to do it. And so we, Father, we know you know our hearts better than we know them. And we know this word is capable of cutting right to the heart of us. And we pray, Father, that you would, by your, in your kindness, reset our hearts to trust you fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.